Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Well, if you brought a Bible today, open it up to three passages. They're all in the New Testament. So it should make it pretty easy to to stay current uh, on what we're talking about in the moment. Matthew chapter 24, right at the beginning of the New Testament. Then we're going to go a little bit to the right and grab 1 Corinthians 13. And then all the way, you'll know we're at the last scripture when we come back to John chapter uh, 3, verse 16. Matthew 24, 1 Corinthians 13, John 3, 16. While you're turning there, uh, my name is Pastor Gil. I'm the senior pastor of Lakeshore One Church, multiple campuses, and I have not been on the pulpit to preach this one or any of other campuses for three weeks. So for those of you that know me, that's a good thing. I got a little bit of steady rest, but I'm loaded and ready to go today. In fact, uh, we've been recently uh, privileged to be able to go and watch our oldest granddaughter, Evelyn, in case you're making connections, that's Pastor Brandon and Jenny's uh, oldest daughter. We've been able to watch them to go and, and watch her play baseball. And she plays on the same team as our worship pastor, Pastor Spencer's son, Carter, who's kind of quite a batting champ already. He's gotten some batting lessons, and you can tell by you know, the confidence as he steps up there, and he's just kind of you know, in, in a league of his own. Uh, but I was sitting there watching him, and I remembered this little, little funny illustration. I wanted to share it with you. It's about a little five-year-old, and he's kind of just getting into baseball, and he's excited about it. So he goes into the backyard with his baseball and his, his bat over his shoulder, and he kind of gets his stance right, and he gets ready, and he says, I'm the greatest home run hitter of all times. And he throws the ball up, whiff, and the ball hits the ground. It's like, oh. So he picks up the ball. He's like, strike one. And he Gets his stance back, puts his bat over his shoulder. I'm the greatest home run hitter of all time. And he throws the ball up, whiff, and hits the ground again. (sighs) Strike two. So he picks it up not to be defeated. This time he kind of digs in, his heels a little more, puts the bat over his shoulder, throws it up in the air. I'm the greatest hitter of all times, and swings it, whiff, hits the ground. Picks the ball up and he looks back. Huh, I'm the greatest pitcher of all time. Well, I hope you brought your Bibles and you're ready to go because, again, I haven't been in the pulpit three weeks, and I want you to know I'm the greatest short sermon preacher of all time. Now, you can either get in faith with me on that, or you can buckle your seatbelt, but either way, we're going to study the Word of God today. Hey, when we were going through uh, several years before we got to January in 2019, 20, and 21, I don't have to elaborate to convince you that the planet was in chaos. And we have so many things that we now are familiar with and they're part of our everyday topics and, and things we're navigating, we're wrestling with, that really, if they were existing before 2019, they certainly weren't at the forefront like they are today. Um, and yet, we, we were praying at the end of 2021, and, and uh, Lord, you know, how do we get our head wrapped around this, and what are the things that we're seeing an impact, and how do you want us to respond? And we just heard very clearly that God wanted in 2022 for, to be a year of breakthrough. Now, if you just listen to that at face value, you know, right away you think of explosions, and we wake up one day, and all of our problems are gone, and, and that's not really what we heard the Lord say. We heard the Lord say it was important for us to come back to the foundations, and we, we were going to open ourselves up as individuals, as pastors, as a staff, as leaders in the church, and as the church as itself, we were going to open ourselves up again to listen to the Lord and to believe God that he will do what only God can do. And by the way, we're five months into it, and we've been watching him do just that. We're watching him. Lots of it is kind of very personal and under the surface. Some are integral to the workings of of relationships in the church and those things. But we're watching God do an amazing thing. What what we've seen, you know, needing to be uh, upfitted, needing to be refreshed and revived, in some cases needing to be addressed and completely realigned, we're watching it happen in our pastors, with our staff, with our leaders, you know, with our church as an organization and as a spiritual family, and, and lots of individuals across the board. God is doing exactly what he promised he would do as 
We're learning to come back and anchor ourselves back to his word and open ourselves back up to the Holy Spirit to say, okay, talk to me now. I just don't want to be going through the motions in life every day. I want to be I'm going to be personal. I want to be relational. I want to say, Lord, I need to know what, what you're saying to me this day and for this week and for this month, for this particular season so that you can keep moving me forward. Well, all of that to say, we're going back into a series of studies, a little different than what we normally do where we just do a, a study series, but we're going to do a series of studies that we're weaving together and I'm going to call them the three essential things. And they're going to be based out of, uh, broadly out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, that talks to us about the fact that no matter what's going on in a chaotic world, that if we'll understand the fundamentals, if we'll found ourselves, root ourselves in faith, hope, and love, they will stabilize our life in in spite of the increasing chaos and the increasing uh, shaking that's happening in the world around us. And so you've actually got a workbook this morning says so loved on it. Uh, there's a hard copy available. If you didn't pick this up, you can get it on the way out or you can download these uh, for some of you that like to work electronically. Uh, but this is so loved. And this is the, the very first part of this study. And I'll talk to you in just a little bit about why, why that's true. But for those of you that have been around Lakeshore bef- you know, since, since 2018, moving into 2019, you may flip through this and say, wait a minute, we've done this before. And the answer is, yeah, we have. And, and we want to be pretty upfront about that, although we think that there's so much that's happened in the last three years that revisiting this fundamental, this foundational study is going to be such a, a blessing to us and is in line with what the Lord wants that it won't feel like it's rehearsed or repeated again. And I think you'll, you'll find that starting today because we're wrestling with different things. We didn't have quarantines and vaccines and isolation, and we don't even know what the fallout is on that yet. We can see different things that it's impacting, but it, it'll take us another few years to really see all that happened during that quarantine and, uh, you know, uh, a global pandemic thing. And by the way, we're promised in the word of God, that's probably not the last one. It's probably going to come in waves as, we, as we're into the last days. We, we, we've heard of social justice. We knew that, you know, the LGBTQ uh, movement was, was, was real. We'd not heard of CRT and those kind of things. Uh, the gender dysphoria and confusion is at an all-time high. But man, in the last three years, they've just not just inserted themselves. They've come in like a rocket ship and disrupted all of our lives in conversation. In fact, we've got such a cancel culture, you can't even hardly talk about it in certain environments. You've got to kind of look around and make sure you're among friends that are somewhat like-minded or at least still have a balanced palate to be able to host a discussion that gets into some healthy conflict because we're, we're just in a world where if you don't line up with the narrative, you're in trouble, which leads us to the politics. Politics has always been kind of a fiery issue, right? But they're so polarized now that it's not even about the issues anymore. It's about certain narratives and certain agendas. Some of them are pretty extreme. And our elections are not just, you know, charged and passionate. Our elections are volatile. And by the way, we've got one coming up in just a few months. I hope you're praying already that we can live quiet and peaceable lives because I'm telling you, this stuff, this stuff is ramping up. Well, you say, yeah, that, but that's the world. You know, they, they don't understand God. And, and, you know, they've got something that's driving them away from God. Totally true. But here's the other part that we have to kind of come to grips with. A lot of those things have invaded the church. There's a deconstruction and a reconstruction going on in, in the fundamentals of the truths of the word of God right now. There are literal denominations that are splitting in half. There are, there are other denominations that are creating a new version, an updated version, a more relevant version, a more tolerant version of the gospel than what we have in the word of God. And not only that, but the 11th commandment is being put to the top. You guys know what the 11th commandment is, right? In our culture, thou shalt be nice at all costs. We can't say anything. We can't do anything that would make anybody feel like we might even think about having a different perspective on their values or their lifestyle. That, that's become the number one thing all in the name of the Lord because after all, God is love. And see, this is what we're dealing with. This is a whole different world 
than we lived in three years ago. By the way, if I missed any of those things, I'm trying to list them. You know, I could have put inflation in there and, and uh, wars, you know, rumors of wars and the displacement of, of hundreds of thousands, millions of people that are in refugee status now and how that's affecting the borders of countries around the world. And, and now the, the newest one that seems to be taking over the news cycle, it's famine. It's food shortage. Not like your favorite brand, not like, you know, the certain kind of food you like, food, main food group, starting with baby formula, and we're, we're just, now you can hear echoes that the wheat's freeze, freezing up, and there's a lot of things that, that are about to change. If I missed any in your list, by the way, you can just open up to Matthew chapter 24, because Jesus captured every single one of them. And he told his disciples, when you see all of these things start happening at the same time, and you see them happening in a rapid succession, and you see them intensifying rather than, you know, something happens and the world responds and then it relaxes. But when you see them wave after wave after wave, and we're not even out of one till two more comes. And, and as those two, two are crashing, there's three more building up as you're experiencing that, which welcome to the headlines today. Jesus said, these are the contractions, the birth pains that are getting closer and more intense because we're about to be birthed into the next age, which is the eternal age. Things here will pass away, but we'll go into eternity, and all this was predicted thousands of years ago, not just by Jesus, but we're going we're gonna to go to Matthew chapter 24. So that's why I asked you to turn to Matthew chapter 24, the first one out of the shoots. I want you to see uh, two important things that Jesus said. We're not going to go through the list. You can read that for yourself. It's kind of like you know, looking, looking at our headlines or scrolling your social media feed or one of your news, news feeds. It's all there. But I want to show you something this morning. In spite of all that, Jesus gave a really important instruction followed by a really, really important promise. And these, these were in response to the disciples say, so tell us what's happening here. Tell us what, what can we expect to happen? What should we see? When is it going to happen? Give us the timeline. We kind of want to see, you know, the end time scrolled out in front of us so we can be aware. Yep, yep, right on time, right on time. We want to know what the calendar looks like. That's what they were asking. But Jesus instead gives them a very important instruction. Let's just read it for ourselves. Matthew chapter 24, verse number three. It says, now as he, that's Jesus, sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? This is, by the way, one of the biggest buzz questions, Christians and non-Christians alike, that's happening right now. You see all kinds of media posts and articles and new books are being written and released and talk shows are hosting it. Everybody wants to know what's going to happen and when is it going to happen. Everybody wants kind of clarity and line it up, and these guys were the same. Jesus starts hinting around about, hey, things are about to come to a close, and they're like, whoa, whoa, tell, tell us what's going to happen, and tell us when's going to happen so we can be prepared, and I want you to notice how Jesus responds to them. Jesus said in verse number four, and Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. Wait, we're, we're kind of looking for the calendar, right? We, we kind of know what comes first. And when can we expect it so we can kind of, you know, just be ready to, to navigate, to bob and to weave and to, to zig and to zag. And how, how can we make sure we're going through this? And Jesus said, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about all that. But here's the number one most dangerous thing that you're going to see in the last days. Don't be deceived. Deception. And that, that's a crazy thing in spite of all the things that he's about to list. Because he's going to go through a pretty scary list. But number one thing he says, take heed that no one deceives you for or because many will come in my name saying I'm the Christ. Now, you may know this, you may not, but the term Christ is not Jesus' last name. It actually comes from the Greek word Christos, and it's a title. It means that Jesus was the anointed one. Jesus was the one divinely appointed by God that was sent here to represent God himself and to bring salvation and the message of salvation back to mankind so that man and God could be rejoined again. He's talked about, the Messiah's talked about and promised all over the New Testament, starting in the book of Genesis, almost every single book, some are more pro prolific about it, but he's talked about it and then Jesus comes and he begins to fulfill this. 
But he's saying the most dangerous thing you're going to have to pay attention to in the last days is after he's gone, there's a lot of people that's going to come in his name and notice this, and they will deceive many. Now that's kind of important enough that we get our head wrapped around it that I'm going to look at it in a couple of other translations that will just peel a little bit more back and, and you know, kind of throw some more descriptions at it. Listen to the Amplified. It says, for many will come in my name misusing it and appropriating the strength of the name which belongs to me, saying, I am the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, and they will mislead many. Now, let me just tell you, there's been a ton of people in history, starting with right after Jesus died and rose again, all the way through to contemporary days, people that showed up and actually said, I am the Christ, as in deity. I'm the son of God. I'm here to, to, to rescue some of them that are still functioning today right here in the United States. They preach a gospel that Jesus actually appeared to their founder and said, I wasn't able to get the job done in redemption. I'm passing it off to you now. Finish it. And that's their role. And we, we know about cult leaders all the time that preach, you know, they're the Messiah, people follow them, and those end really badly. And so Jesus is talking about them, but I want to broaden your, your understanding a little bit. It's not just people that come and claim to be deity. It's people that come and say, I have a message from God. You need to listen to what I'm saying because I'm speaking directly on behalf of the Lord. I have a message from the Lord, and you need to understand this. I'm bringing the word of salvation. I'm bringing the anointed word for the hour. And listen to me, there are a ton of those that are going around. And listen, Jesus isn't saying that we shouldn't listen to the anointed word of God. He's saying we have to be really careful, because there's going to be a lot of people that are gonna come and say, I, I've, I've got hit, listen, you, you need to hear it this way. You probably never heard it before, but let me tell you this way because this is the way that God's trying to move it in the earth right now. Listen to the voice translation. It says, for many will come in my name, claiming they are the anointed one, and many poor souls will be taken in. I grew up uh, for part of my life in Long Beach, California, and if you're not familiar with that, uh, it's kind of a port city, and so it, it's got a you know, nice long stretch of beach, but it's also got a giant harbor that used to have a military base on it, and, and they're really big in freight, you know, bringing freights in and out. Uh, but in order to, to manage that harbor, they also have, they built these canals that, that flow several miles inland in different fingers that go up through, uh, through the city. So we didn't live right on the beach. We, we live, you know, a few miles away. And, uh, but my dad picked up this little, I don't know, 15 foot John boat. And, and uh, at the time, me and my, my, my next brother, my middle brother, Jerry, uh, we were kind of the oldest. And dad used to love to get us out on this boat. It wasn't pretty. It was just really basic. But here's three guys and we're out there and we got life jackets on. And, you know, dad, dad wasn't like a super experience in the nautical world. And so we would do things enough to be able to, to satisfy the harbor patrol, but do other things we weren't supposed to do. For example, in our small little boat, we certainly were not big enough and stable enough to drive all the way out next to the Queen Mary so that we're standing in the boat looking at the Queen Mary like this and the harbor patrol had to come and say, hey, you guys are too small. You got to get back. It's not safe for you to be out here. Dad would do stuff like that. Unknowingly, he wasn't trying to put us in danger. But one of the things about the harbor and particularly those canals is you could be on the canal. You could be trying to launch your boat or you could be pulling up to one of the little places where you can get more fuel or, or get something to drink. And, and the water looked like it was pretty calm, especially in the canal. Sometimes it was almost glassy if a boat hasn't been there. But what you didn't understand, unless you made the fatal mistake of not tying your boat uh, off, you didn't understand that underneath that glassy water were these strong currents. And they were flowing in and out of the canal, the ebb and the flow. And they were flowing in the harbor that was keeping everything moving. And so we learned pretty quick, not the hard way, fortunately, but by watching somebody else, that when you're backing your boat and you're pulling it off the trailer, you better have someone in the boat. You better have that engine running. And you better not unhook it until you're absolutely ready to go because the current will take this all the way out and you'll be on the phone to the harbor patrol to come and get your boat back because it's, you know, six blocks away by the time you get your car back out of the water. Same thing on a dock. 
You better tie your boat off on the front and the back. And lots of times you better start that little outboard motor and make sure it's running facing the dock so that you can safely get in and out of the boat. Because if you don't, in a minute, by the time you get one foot up and get ready to put it in the boat, that current will shift that boat and you're stepping off into the water. And I mean, this, this, we almost happened several times, but the point is there's a current that's happening. Listen to me. Here's what the Bible's trying to teach us, that there are people that are propagating things right now and it's creating a current. And if we're not careful, we will be deceived. Let me say it a different way. If we're not careful, we'll drift. We're going to actually look at something that the Apostle Paul wrote today. And it was along the same topic these last days. And he was talking about that when we get to the last days, many people in the church, Christian people, will begin to drift away. Now, there won't be their intention. They won't wake up one morning and say, you know what? I don't think I believe the Bible. You know what? I, I don't think I believe what Jesus said anymore. It'll just be little by little by little, inch by inch, they'll begin to turn their attention to other kinds of teachings that other people are coming and saying, hey, listen, I know there's a traditional view of the Bible, but you got to understand in light of all that's going on in the world, here's what God intended, here's how we need to read this, and it's a different gospel. And there are people right now that are buying this stuff hook, line, and sinker. And we have to really be careful about this drift. Now, here, here's the good thing. Jesus wasn't taken off guard by this. Jesus had already seen some of this in the religious settings, and Jesus knew it was happening. And so Jesus is pretty upfront and honest. I love that the Bible writes very vulnerably, very honest, very pointedly, not to scare us, but to prepare us. And so the disciples are looking at all this crazy stuff that Jesus said was going to happen, and he's Jesus. He talked before, and stuff happened like that. So they're buying in. They're saying, well, well tell us when. Tell, tell, what, what's gonna, how, how do we navigate this? And he said, here's the number one thing. Do not be deceived. But here's the big question. When you have a world, and we're actually in the trenches, we're not reading a list. We're living the list. And when you have all this stuff that's going on in these other gospels and these other truths that are floating around, you got your head kind of in a beehive, how in the world do we not be deceived? How do we make sure that we are staying on target? Because if we're being super honest, in and of ourselves, not one of us is spiritual enough. Not one of us has the sensitivity to be able to understand the moment perfectly every time, and so there's a vulnerability there. Not one of us are theological enough, we're not smart enough, because these things are coming so fast, and they've got so many twists and turns and, and so many new approaches. We're certainly not experienced enough. Up until three years ago, the world has never lived in this before. This is all first time for us. We've had this, and we've had that, and we've had a little of this. We haven't had all of it together plus everything else that's going on. This is brand new. And, and here's something that's very personal, uh, both, you know, both my measurement at times, but certainly as a pastor, I, I don't think that most people are secure enough. Like in their own personhood, we get quickly intimidated by what other people think. Quickly intimidated by the, the, the opinions at large. If we find ourselves in the minority, man, at minimum we want to step back and on a more dangerous level, sometimes we want to say, well, maybe I am wrong. We don't have the security and the confidence in and of ourselves or in our relationship with God to really be able to tell the difference on our own. And that's why I'm so glad that Jesus didn't stop with that warning, that caution, but he went on later in the chapter and he made us a promise. And you'll find that in Matthew chapter 24, verse number 35, after listing all the chaotic and all the contractions and all the things that just kind of take your breath away, especially when you understand the reality today, Jesus makes this statement. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. In other words, you're going to be in a world and we can, we're just watching it, man. Society is unraveling. And the world systems and their answers and their approach, they're failing one right after the other. Jesus said that they would. There's going to be sheer chaos. And we're moving into, you know, something that's positioning us for anarchy and those kind of things. All that's a setup. We get it. We're not, we're not caught off guard. The Bible says this. But he says, but here's what I'm trying to understand. No matter how crazy it gets, no matter how chaotic it gets, he said, I want you to know that my word is unflinching. My word will not change. And it will not falter. 
It will give you the foundation and the platform you need. He said, my words will by no means pass away, which gives us another insight that we find in the New Testament, and that's that all this chaos that's happening, it, it is very intentional. And, and we can read over and over, it's the spirit or the, the coaching, the manipulating of the anti-Christ, the anti-God. This is the enemy who's challenged God from the very beginning. And here in the last days, his challenge is going to be exponentially demonstrative. And we're moving towards that. So we, we can see that coming. But let me tell you what, what it's not about. It's not really about canceling out God. The enemy was pretty clear. That's not what he's been trying to do ever. It's about eroding the authority of God as God. It's about eroding the authority of the word of God. Nobody's trying to say the Bible's not real. We're holding it. It's printed. Nobody's trying to challenge that it's been the bestseller for I don't know how many decades now. Nobody's trying to challenge that it's a religious book that, that you know, millions of people over the history of time has embraced that and has lived devotionally and devotedly to it. Nobody's challenging that. But Romans chapter 1 tells us that when we get into the last days, the challenge is even though they knew he was God, they weren't going to give him the place and worship him as God. He doesn't get that authority. He's one significant voice that might need to be considered, but here's some other stuff that we need to take into account. And so the challenge is not direct, like we're defying, we are not accepting your God. It's we're not accepting the authority of your God. And that's important because that, that's the big strategy here. And by the way, it's not new. It's the one that started in the Garden of Eden and has run all the way through. I didn't ask you to turn to Genesis, but we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3 and read a few verses there because when you can understand what, what the enemy or the serpent did to Eve, then you can see this really simple pattern and you can watch uh, 6,000 years later, he's still doing the exact same thing. He's not super creative, but he doesn't need to be because it's still working. It's still working. So why, why does he need to be, right? And so th this is a strategy he's been using. We're going to see it in the book of Genesis, and this is really important. All right, so I'm in Genesis chapter 3. Still with me? Okay. Genesis chapter 3, and we're in, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree in the garden? Now there's a couple of important words that stick out in the New King James and in other fundamental translations. He says, Has God indeed said? And we could take that word indeed. It means emphatically. Did God actually say this? And he's making a point. He's saying, did God actually say that you guys can't eat of any of these trees? Look at all these trees. Did God actually say that? Like you can't eat of any of these? And listen, the first strategy that the enemy does, he misquotes and he misappropriates God's word. That's not what God said. But he just kind of puts a little bit of a twist, a little more legalistic, a little more narrow-mindedness. He changes the context to mean something a little different. And he said, did God actually say that you guys can't eat of any or every one of those trees? And verse 2, you got to be pretty proud of Eve, man. She starts off well. And the woman said to the serpent, I'm going to put this in there. No, that's not what he said. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but, verse number 3, of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, listen to this, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now here's a little bit of, of an interesting fact. Eve starts off so well and says, no, no, that's not what God said at all. God said that one tree right there, all the trees we can eat of, but that one tree right there, we can't eat it. In fact, we're not even supposed to touch it. Because if we do, we die. And listen to me, you won't find that anywhere in the word of God. God said, don't eat it or you'll die. But they added, or she at least added, don't even touch it. So she, she backs up another half a step. Maybe that was a, a, you know, a precautionary thing. Maybe she thought it was great. But, but here's the challenge. It conflicted with what Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 through 17 said, where Adam was put in the garden to take care of all the trees. You're the husbandman. You're the guy who's taking care of the orchard. You have to touch the trees, all of them, in order to take care of them. You've got to harvest the fruit. But see that one tree right there? Don't eat any of the fruit. 
Not even one little sample. Don't eat any of it. All the rest of them, harvest it, take care of them, make sure they're in full flourish and full blossom, and you can eat all of it. But that one, take care of it, make sure it's flourishing, but don't touch it. Or don't eat it, rather. But Eve kind of, you know, jumbles this up a little bit. And so I want you to notice what the enemy does from there. Verse number four says, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. When he understands, first of all, he misquotes and misappropriates. And when the woman says, I kind of know what the Bible says, but not really. Then he comes back and the, the second thing that, that he will do is he'll contradict the word. That's not what it means. That's not at all true. I know that God said that you'll die, but listen to me, you're not going to die. It's not literally what, it, what it's saying. You're not actually going to die. So the second thing that the enemy will do is he will contradict what the word of God actually says. Not directly, not trying to cancel the whole thing, usually with some kind of an angle, some kind of an adjusted interpretation, but he's going to diminish what God actually said so that he can get to the third step, which is the next verse. He says, for God knows... That in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. In other words, he says, listen, you're not going to die, but here's what you need to understand. The only reason God said that is because God knows something that you're not aware of yet. His new information's coming in, and that new information is going to qualify and change what the Bible, what God actually said. And so first of all, you need to understand, did, did God actually say that? Well, no, he, that's, not, that's not what he said. Here's what he said. Oh, okay, well, listen to me, that's just not true. And let me tell you why, because things have changed. God knows something that you're not aware of yet, and when you put all that together, listen to me, it's not that you're going to die, something's going to happen, and you're going to be different, and they just begin to twist and turn. In fact, notice this, he said, because God knows something, God knows this, and he explains this, verse number four, so after he introduces, first he tries to narrow it, Eve straightens him out, kind of. And then he try, tries to, to, uh, to contradict it. Well, that's just not true. And then he introduces something that Eve hadn't thought about before because God didn't talk about it, but evidently God knows something and now she's enlightened and she sees something she didn't see before. And so look what happens in verse number six. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Now stop. It was always good for food. God never said it's poisonous. God just said, you don't get to eat it. It was always great. And by the way, all the trees were beautiful. All the trees had multiplication built in where they, they seeded themselves and, and they, they were able to reproduce. And all the trees were like that. God said that in Genesis chapter one when he said he made everything and he said it was all good. And then in chapter two, he said, and everything's made with a multiplication, the seed after its own kind so it will reproduce. All of it was always good. And it was always good for food. It just wasn't good for her. But she all of a sudden looks and she says, well, you know, it, it is good for food. She's not thinking about the parameter, the limit, and goes on and says, not, not only that, it says, and it was pleasant to the eyes, which by the way was true. All the trees were beautiful. The orchard was exquisite. God created this, man. He knows what he's doing. But listen to me, it was only pleasant to the eyes with a right perspective. Jesus actually touched on this in a different topic in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, when you look on a woman to lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. It doesn't mean you can never look and say, wow, she's, she's a knockout. It says you can't say that with a wrong motive in your heart. By the way, that goes to the other gender too. But if you say that with a wrong motive, that takes a healthy right perspective and turns it into a wrong perspective because the motive's changing and she, you can see, you can feel her, her chain, her, the, the motive's changing in her heart. But look at the last one. It says, not only did she look and say, well, it is good for food and it's fun to look at. It's real pleasant to the eyes. But listen to the next one. And a tree desirable to make one wise, that's a lie. Nothing in the Bible says that that tree, more than the other trees, if you eat that, something happens in your intellect and it's like this super vitamin and all of a sudden you're way smarter than you were before. That's just not true. But this is how the enemy does it. There's a little bit of an adjustment and a little bit of a tweak. Here's some new information. And so, you, you, well, this is true, right? Well, yeah, that's true. Well, this is true, right? Well, that's true. Then this must be true. That's a lie. But we're already hooked. We're already on the drift. We've got a new perspective that, that's formulating. By the way, Psalm chapter one outlines the same exact thing. It says, blessed is the man 
who, who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And it just talks about this stair-step unraveling of what this person knew to be truth. First of all, he's walking by and he hears someone say something contradictory and he's like, wait, what did you say? That's not true. And then the next thing you know, he's standing in the middle of them. He's engaged in the conversation, not defending truth, but asking more questions to understand the twist and understand the new information. And then pretty soon the Bible says he's seated in a learning position. Now he's actually scorning himself. He's gone down a downward trail. But the Bible goes on and says, but the person who doesn't do that, who delights in the law of the Lord, who holds on to that is like this flourishing tree. He just keeps on going. This is exactly what happened in the book of Genesis. And so she unfolds it and notice what happened when her perspective changes. It says that she took of its fruit and she ate and gave also to her husband with her and he ate. This might be the first time cancel culture came into play because he was standing right there. At minimum, he could have said, whoa, 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 hold on for a second now. We've always done exactly what the Lord said, and look, it's working pretty good for us. And I get this as a whole new thought and a whole new idea, but shouldn't we kind of sleep on this? Shouldn't we have some discussion about this? Maybe even talk to the Lord about it, because he walks with us every single day. Why jump to a quick response? But he didn't say anything. And she took a bite, and she handed it to him, and he took a bite. And I want you to notice what happened immediately, verse number seven. Then, as in right then, the eyes of both of them were open, kind of sort of like the, the, the serpent promised, because God knows the moment you eat this, you're going to know something that he knows. You're going to see something in a different perspective. The eyes of both of them were open, but notice what, what they found out they knew. They knew that they were both naked. And we get so narrow and almost playful about this, we think they didn't have any clothes on. Okay. But really what it's talking about is they realized they were uncovered. They're no longer under the protection of the obedience of God. They're no longer under the favor of what it meant to walk in the instruction that God said, do this and you'll have my favor. They, they stepped out from that and they could feel we're, we're out from under that. We're, we're, man, we're in un, uncharted territory. We're all by ourselves. We are uncovered. And I want you to notice what their response was. It says, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. In other words, they scrambled to create a man-made solution to try to fix a spiritual problem. Mankind's been doing it ever since. Ever since. Little adjustment here, little compromise there. Well, you just got to understand the reason we did that. Well, yeah, but I'm trying to think about my family. But, but if I said that, you know, my job and I got contracts and I got people. And yeah, but you just need to, I, I need some rest time too. I need to, little compromise, little adjust here and there. And pretty soon you got fig leaves everywhere. Trying to solve a spiritual issue with practical solutions. And it never, ever works. But here's the big lesson we need to walk away. Listen to me. I don't care what we go through in life. I don't care whether it's personal or global or anything in between. Listen, there's always unknowables. Always. There's always things that people are speculating that you can hear experts get on news channels and, and debate back and forth. Well, here's what I think is going to happen. If the trend continues, then it's this or that. There's always unknowables. And by the way, there's one person who's never caught off guard. God knows all of it. There are things that God knows, but for some reason, he just chooses not to reveal everything. But listen to me, just because we don't know, just because it's unknowable to us, we have to understand that the protection and the provision and the confidence and the covering of God comes by what he said, not by what he knows. And we can do that. Yeah, I know what the Bible says, but what if, I, I don't know. God knows, but I don't know. Here's what I do know, what God said. And if we will stay with what God said, Jesus said, heaven and earth is gonna shake and eventually will pass away, but guess what will never change? What he said. We're responsible for what he said, and if we keep our life anchored to what he said, then what he knows, either we'll get to know it at some point, or it doesn't matter. It's going to go where it needs to go, but we are right on the firm foundation of what he said. This is what passages in the Bible like Psalm 91, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High abides under the shadow of the Almighty. 
Then it goes on and says, I will say of the Lord, he's my refuge. He's my strength. In him will I trust. A thousand may fall at one side and 10,000 at my other side, but it's not going to come nigh me because I'm doing what he said to do. I'm living my life under the covering. I'm not naked. I'm not vulnerable. I'm not exposed. I'm living my life under the covering of what God said. You say, Pastor Gil, that is a very old-fashioned uh, uh, you know, approach to live. That's what Jesus said to us. It can't get more old-fashioned than this. But Jesus said, this is what's going to work. By the way, you can do a little fun Bible study uh, just in case you think, I don't know, this kind, that's kind of an outdated approach. Not only did he say heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will, will endure. But the Bible tells us over and over again, when we get to heaven, it's this word, it's this book that is going to govern the kingdom of heaven. So if you think this is antique, try doing it for all of eternity. It's never going to change because it doesn't need to. It's perfect. It's mature. And by the way, Isaiah chapter 9 tells us when we do get to heaven and Jesus is the head of our government and, and, and everybody is doing what, he's, what they're supposed to do in obedience to God, listen to me, this is such an incredible eternity that it's a paradise. He returns us to what he intended for Adam and Eve, but they stepped out from under the covering. Now see, this is really, really important that we understand this. Now, we look at a couple of other passages and, uh, and then we'll get to John ch chapter three, verse 16. By the way, uh, some of you may be holding on to these beautiful notes and saying, man, when are we gonna get to this stuff? We're not. And, and that was an audible that I made. I actually called some of the teaching team yesterday and, and said, hey, here's what's in my heart. You know, I just feel like I really need to stay with this instruction and with this promise to kind of set the stage for this whole, you know, series. And so hold on to these, pray about them, salivate over them, cherish them. I promise you we'll jump right into them next week. But this is all an introduction to set up so that you don't look at something like, you know, God loves us and think, eh, <laughs> Yeah, we kind of already know that, but we need some really important stuff. I mean, the world's crazy right now. I need some of the good stuff to, to help me to get into this thing and, and feel like I'm going to win the fight, but you're going to talk about the love of God. Well, you have to understand, don't, don't worry, I'm going to take you and show you why we're talking about the love of God. All right, let me take you to one more passage, uh, and then we're going to jump. First Timothy chapter 4. This is the Apostle Paul, and he might be 60 years uh, after the resurrection of Jesus, and he's, uh, and he's, he's trying to, to, to help us to understand the same thing. It says, now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the faith. Very quickly, won't go deep into it, but the word some there means not just a couple, not just a few. It's going to be like a pretty sizable number, and he's talking about Christians, and he says, we'll turn away from the faith. It's the Greek word ionis, and it actually means to turn little by little, inch by inch, gradually, like to the point that you may not even realize that you're drifting. You don't wake up one day and say, you know what, I don't think the Bible's true. But little by little by little, the narrative around you, the chatter around you, the different adjustments that are happening in social, in, in, in social, uh, uh, social groups and, and churches where denominations are splitting and they're redefining, what does that actually mean? And, and did God actually talk about that? And, and should we actually accept these people because God is love? And, and all of those kinds of things, it gets so confusing. And little by little by little, we lose, we're not tied to the dock anymore. We're not tied to the word of God anymore and we drift. And it says, when we get into the last days, it's going to happen that uh, some, not just a few, will turn away from the true faith. You say, why would they do that? They're following after deceptive spirits. And the word following after literally means that, you know, they're not just like, you know, friending them and putting them, you know, hitting subscribe and, but they're actually listening and they're opening up their, their thought process to say, well, maybe I need to learn something. There's a lot of people that are, you know, that, are, that are talking about this. And I shared something with a friend the other day and they said, well, you just need to kind of do your homework. You just not need to read more. Maybe I do. Maybe I need to understand. So they're not listening just to understand the discussion. They're listening. And like Eve, little by little, there's a drift and they're starting to see it a different way. And Paul said, this is what's going to happen in the last days. But notice this, it says they're going to follow deceptive spirits. He's not talking about hearing voices. He's talking about people 
are going to be receiving their, their coaching, their instruction. They're getting these new ideas. They, don't, they, they might think it's from God, but they're getting them from deceptive spirits. And these particular ideas, by the way, are not just kind of a, that was a crazy sermon, you know, out of inspiration. They're carefully and eloquently crafted messages that are designed to pull people away from the fundamental truths of God and to give them a different gospel. This is happening right now, like dangerous right now. I mean, you, you, you can listen to people think, that was a great message, but if you're not listening with, with discerning ears, I don't mean you have to be a theologian. If you're not listening with discerning ears, that could be a great message that's just edging you away. And you just, we just have to be smarter. We have to be more in tune with this. But not only deceptive spirits and teachings that come straight from demons, the word teachings there is uh, the Greek word where we get doctrines. It means structures of belief, not just a one-off teaching. But let me take you down a series of studies that will help you to understand why that was kind of an old-fashioned approach to the Bible, but this is the new enlightened way to see it. He said there's gonna be more than a few people that are listening to that thinking, wow, that's crazy. We won't turn there, but in Ephesians chapter four, Jesus is talking about how the spiritual family comes together and what makes the church so incredibly important, especially in the last days. And he said part of that is because rather than staying immature in our faith and in our understanding like little children uh, and, and making ourselves vulnerable to be tossed back and forth by every new teaching, by every new thought process, by every new approach. Well, that actually, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I kind of hear the emphasis, you know, that we, we need to be that way, but instead to grow up and be strong so we're not tricked. And then he comes back into 1 Timothy chapter four and uh, verse 16 and says, so keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching, that same word, on your structures of belief. And it says, stay with truth for what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. Listen to me. We, we don't often understand the weightiness of the things that we are, are allowing to root in our heart as convictions. We don't understand. We, we think that it's so simple that we can adjust this. Well, that's not really that big of a deal. Uh, like, like the enemy, right? You're not actually gonna die. Well, maybe you're not gonna drop dead on the spot. But something in you does. Something in you and your conviction withers away. And that margin gets thinner and thinner. And not only that, he said, this actually can affect your eternal salvation, listen, and the salvation of those people around you. Parents, listen to me. This is not an easier discussion than it was. We're, your kids are not in the same uh, schools that you grew up in. They're not facing the same challenges you did. It is exponentially more difficult and more devious and more accepted now. And if you're not understanding what the word of God says, you will not be able to keep up with the conversations. You won't even be able to have a discussion with them as if that isn't already challenging enough when they're going through adolescence and they're trying to discover their own thought process and their own decisions and they're trying to do that in a way that, you know, is accepting some parental training. That's already a challenging age. But you won't be able to even get in the discussion if you don't understand very clearly what does the Bible say? What does God say? And this is why that we live our life this way. Very, very important. All right. Last two passages of scripture, we'll do them quickly in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is why we're, we're turning our attention to this because again, Jesus said, whatever you do in the last days, don't be deceived. The apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter four says, you know what the scariest thing's gonna be is that even people that are Christians are gonna drift away and they won't even realize they're drifting. But they're drifting because they're listening to all these really cool things and that was a great message and that actually makes a lot of sense. I've never heard it like that before. Okay, well, that, that could be wonderful, but make sure it comes back and lines up with what you have heard before because this is what God said. First Corinthians 13 says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. You know the thing about the, the reasoning, the thought process, the words of a child? They're all based on emotion in the moment. They're based on what they like and you know, their, their comforts, their conveniences and, and what they wanna do so much so that if you're a parent and they say, I really wanna do this, by the time you get that taken, ready and move it over to them, they're already onto something else. It's like that's not even their focus anymore. That's childish rationale and reason. But listen to me, Paul said it's so important that we grow up because an immaturity in your rationale can invade your spiritual life and pretty soon you're making decisions about the truths of God's word based on how you feel. 
based on how people that you love feel, based on what the, you know, the, big, the big discussion is in the moment and whether or not you're in the minority and that just feels so weird. I, I don't even know, you know if, if I'm on the right, but everybody else seems to be going this way, so maybe I'll just jump into the mob. Very childish reasoning. Very immature reasoning, very passion-driven, very convenient, very comfortable in the moment, but very, very, very dangerous. And he said, listen to me, we're trying to grow up and grow out of that. We don't want to be that person. Look at verse number, uh, number 13, I'm sorry, number 12. Now, or at least for now, we see things imperfectly like, uh, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. Uh, some translations say a blurry mirror. We might say a foggy mirror, like when your bathroom mirror fogs up and you, you can see something, but you can't see enough to really understand what you're looking at. He says, right now, the things that are going on in the earth and, and in our life, he said, it's kind of like we're looking at a fogged up mirror. But then once we get into eternity, we'll see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know right now in this crazy fogged up mirror is partial and incomplete but then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. When we were growing up, I had two brothers and, uh, and boy, we, we, we were all kind of, you know, strong-willed and, and so there was a lot of arguments, a lot of fights and, and you know, we're gonna do it this way and that way. But, but if it got too bad and one person felt like that there was too much to risk, then they would pull the big card, I'm telling dad. And nobody wanted to tell dad because dad was a disciplinarian. He was a very loving guy, but dad didn't come in. Sometimes dad came in and said, okay, everybody's getting punished and then we'll figure it out later. And so that, it was kind of like a peanut butter spread right across everything. So we didn't really want to pull the dad card, but sometimes there was too much at stake. So we did. And somebody would run down the hall or run to wherever dad was. Dad, you know, what's going on? And they, they said this and I said that. And, and then I, they said this and I said, dad, say, stop, 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 stop. You go back and you tell your brothers and he would give the instruction. And when you walk back into the room, it didn't matter what we were talking about. You had the dad said card. And sometimes it was in your favor and other times it wasn't. But once you got it, you're stuck with it. And you'd walk in, you say, dad said, yeah, but that's not fair because I, all I'm telling you is dad said. Yeah, but if we do that, dad said. Now listen to me. We're in a crazy world and there's an intentional drift trying to pull every single one of us off of the word of God. And we won't always know everything that needs to be known, but we can always know what dad said. Sometimes dad said stuff just because he understood, you know, something that was going to happen in a little bit. And if we did what we want to do, it was going to ruin that. Sometimes dad said stuff because he knew that developing the character in our relationship was worth not getting our way and what we want, and he's just going to force us to understand how to live socially with each other and to power through that. But the point is, dad always knew something we didn't know, but that didn't matter. What mattered was dad said. In fact, sometimes we'd, we'd go back, all three of us, and question dad, and he'd say, listen, I don't want to talk about it. You do it because I said so. None of us like that. None of us like that. But that was just the issue. But listen to me. He's saying here, you will never have perfect information. Whatever's going on in your life right now, you're only understanding a part of it. You got this little part, and I'm sure you've done your research and your homework, and I'm sure you think this is the best decision, and maybe it is, but you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day. Only God knows that. You only have partial information. But let me tell you what you have complete information is what God said. And when you're doing what God said, you're always on safe ground. In fact, let's just finish this and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll finish it up. In verse number 13, it says, three things then will last forever. Some translations add and start out and says, but for right now, in all the craziness and everything we're trying to navigate, there's three things that will last that you can depend on, faith, hope, and love. And notice this, and the greatest of these is love. The word greatest in the Greek there actually means the most fundamental, the most foundational the one that's the oldest and the one that holds the priority is love. And that's why we're studying this. And let me tell you why, listen to me. Because when you understand that God loves you because he said he loves you, not because you feel like you've deserved his love, not because you're acting like a good little boy and a good little girl and you're so perfectly obedient in everything and so therefore you deserve the favor of God. No, no, the Bible says that God so loved the whole world. In fact, that included you and I when we were lost in our sin, 
When we were dead in our trespasses with no hope of ever coming back, God so, so, so loved us. And when you understand how much God really loves you, all the craziness and the chaos and the, the threats that are happening in the world and it feels like it's coming apart at the seams and it's just getting worse and the pressure's intense and oh my goodness. And you can come back and say, I'm so glad that God loves me though. That God's not going to sacrifice his children because he's got an end game plan. God didn't get lost in the giant cosmos and we're trying to wrap this up and we need to turn a page to go into eternity. Whoops, I forgot about my kids. Never, ever, 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 ever. He's a great father. In fact, the Bible says that we're like his precious bride and the closer we get to the end time, God leans in, Jesus leans into the wedding and he makes sure that we have everything we need so we can be a bride that is glowing on her wedding day. Listen to me, the love of God never leaves you. He's your protection, he's your provision, he's your wisdom, he's your guidance, he's your favor. He's everything you need to navigate through these end times. Jesus said that heaven and earth is gonna come apart at the seams and pass away, but the word of God's not. And the word of God is going to tell us the very first thing, the fundamental thing, the most important thing you can understand is God so, so loves you. Let me end by just reading John 3.16 and we're gonna pick up here next week. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, not the planet, not the ball of dirt, not the, you know, the one spinning object in the universe, but the people, you, me, everyone in fact, not, not even you know, people that have rejected him are excluded from this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That word everlasting life is a really great word because it's not talking about just life in eternity, it's talking about a life flow that really has no beginning and no end. It's what made all life in the universe as we know it move from, from, from eternity past all the way to eternity in the future and it's talking about God's love. The moment that you accept the truth that God stated about how much he loved you so he sent Jesus, it says all I'm asking you to do is believe what I said. Just believe me. And if you'll believe what I said and you'll accept that, it says a life flow will begin to bubble up inside of you. I don't care the drought. I don't care the famine. I don't care the economic. You'll have a life flow inside of you that will make sure that you stay in the sweet spot of your heavenly father's love. He will not sacrifice his children. I don't care what's going on on the earth, God holds us in the palm of his hand. This is his promise. Now listen to me, he's not asking you to memorize 40,000 scriptures. He's not asking you to quit your job and do your devotions all day and to pray. He's not asking to empty your house and empty your life with everything fun and recreational and pleasurable. Those are all particulars to God. All he's asking is, do you believe what I said? When I tell you, I love you. I love you. I think about you all the time. I had to send Jesus because I can't bear the thought of going into eternity and living forever and you're not there. It wouldn't be eternity for me. If you're not part of the family, I, I just can't bear that. It's kind of like the holiday, right, that you've planned and at the last minute, one of your relatives calls and says, oh, we can't make it. You're like, oh, well, we're still gonna have a good holiday, but it's not the same. You're not there. We wanted the whole family here. God says, I loved you so much that I just couldn't bear the thought of leaving you behind. And so I had to send Jesus. And if you'll just believe what I'm telling you, I don't feel loved. I know that. But you are. Because I said I love you. If you can get your head and your heart wrapped around that, I'm telling you, there's a foundation of confidence that is laid and nothing will shake you. Heaven and earth will pass away and there's all kinds of things like, I don't know what to do. I'm so glad that I know that God loves me though. He's gonna be all right. God's watching me. This is the love of God and this is why it's the oldest and the longest and the most important one. Faith and hope are so important in our Christian life as anchors, as building blocks, but the most important one at all is that you understand the love of God. When you understand that, I'm telling you, everything else solidifies. Stand to your feet. <clears throat> Just a moment, we're gonna sing just, just for a, a moment or two to give you a chance to respond. And uh, I don't know what the Lord's been speaking to you, but here's what I'm praying that you walk away with. I'm praying that you walk away with a new understanding that these are sobering times. 
And these are not times that God left. He said, be careful, pay attention, don't be deceived. But you don't have to be because I said everything I need to say in order for you to be solid and steadfast. And God's giving us the roadmap. He's giving us the answer. And my prayer is that as we sober ourselves and we lean back into the study, that some of you are gonna move in your understanding from the love of God just to some, from something that you feel once in a while because you think you had a great week or you think you did something really good or, or you didn't do something really bad and that you're gonna move to a whole nother category that you know that you know that you know that God loves you no matter what's happening around you and therefore you can exhale and say, okay, it's gonna be all right because that's who God is. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we don't have to know everything that needs to be known, but we can just know what you said and we can do what you said. Help us, Holy Spirit, now teach us, lead us into truth. Help us to guard our hearts and stay tied and anchored to you and help us to understand how much God loves us and let it be a concrete and a confidence and a faith in our life in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.